Welcome to the John Mark Comer Teachings Podcast by Practicing the Way. This teaching was first given at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon as a part of the eating and drinking practice. Robin Williams. We miss you, buddy. This man that brought so much joy into our life through the medium of laughter. I am embarrassed to admit I never saw Jumanji until this last summer with my children for the first time. Oh my gosh. And I just can't help but think of him as an archetype for our cultural moment. Behind that smile, and he had such a great smile, there was a deep well of sadness. And whether it's a Robin Williams or the suicide of an Anthony Bourdain or a music video like This Is America about the dark underbelly of the entertainment industry, in particular the experience of the black community in our country, or just the stats on antidepressants, which are through the roof, up something like 65% in not that many years, multi-billion dollar industry, even in our city, which this time of year, I mean, our city is just the overlap of heaven on earth. But it's just about three months that it's like that. The rest of the year, we rank year after year as the most depressed city in the entire country, right? Whatever it is, behind the smile, the singing, the dancing, the noise, the comedic tone of our nation is a deep well of sadness. For a nation built around the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, man, it feels like chasing after the wind. And even in the church, Behind that smile, hi, how are you? Great, singing, clap, clap, clap. For a lot of people, we live with a low-grade anxiety and chronic depression that just we acclimate to as the new normal. And a lot of people think that Jesus has little or nothing to say on the subject of happiness. A lot of us imagine Jesus kind of like the Catholic painting from the Sistine Chapel, right? He's just pale white, never mind that he was a Jew who grew up in Africa. He, he's bone thin, never mind that he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And above all, in picture after picture, he is sad. Never mind that there's a prophecy about the coming Messiah that said he would be, quote, anointed with the oil of joy more than all of his companions. My wannabe Eugene Peterson translation of the Hebrew is, he would be the happiest person alive. And did you know that quote, that prophecy, is quoted by the writers of the New Testament multiple times. People that knew Jesus firsthand, so many of them said the same thing. He was. He was the happiest person alive. Yet most of us would not think to look to Jesus for advice on how to live a happy life. For Jesus, we look to him on other stuff. For happiness, well, we look to, I don't know, the Dalai Lama or mindfulness or Tal Ben-Shahar's positive psychology class at Harvard, which, by the way, is on YouTube now. Have fun with that. But not to Jesus. G.K. Chesterton, I think of that magnum opus, his book, Orthodoxy, and he ends by writing about how Jesus never concealed his tears, but he wept with an open face, but the one thing he concealed was his mirth, end of one of the best books in the last century. But is Jesus' mirth hidden? If so, I would argue it's hidden in plain sight. Let's start off with a story about eating and drinking from the life of Jesus. John chapter two, verse one. 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mom was there, and Jesus and his apprentices had also been invited to the wedding. He's the kind of guy you would want to have around at a party. When, for this reason alone, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Hint, hint, you gotta love the passive-aggressive thing. Thanks, mom. Um, Woman, and that's a term of endearment in the original language, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Been waiting for my mom to tell our servants that for years. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I love that. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now they did so. And I imagine Jesus in the background here with the mischievous smile, right? The master of the banquet He tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. He said, hey, come here. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Just word of the wise, next time you plan a party, there you have it. But you have saved the best until now. And I love that in the story, the bridegroom just takes credit for all of this. It's fantastic. (laughs) Eleven. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Let's parse out that last summary line. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, the story that we just read, was the first of the signs. A sign is a pointer to reality through which he revealed, so it's a revelation, his glory. Now, when you hear the word glory, don't think of fame or celebrity status as in the cliche, give God the glory. Glory in the library of scripture is God's presence and his person. So think of the glory of God in the Old Testament, in the temple in Jerusalem or out in the desert, which manifested as a cloud. That cloud was his presence. When the cloud was there, God was there for sake of argument. And it was his person, his personality, the origin point of his voice. It was what God was like. So this story of water to wine is a pointer to the reality, it's a revelation of what God is like. Listen carefully. He is the kind of God who first off is at the top of the invite list for a party and he goes to that party and he stays there for a very long time and when they have run out of wine, what does he do? He makes more and he makes the good stuff. None of this two buck chuck nonsense, right? It's that out of the cellar, dust off the bottle. That's what God is like, the sommelier of the kingdom of heaven. Is it any wonder that joy is one of the central teachings of Jesus as the Gospel of John goes on? For example, here's just a line or two, John 15. I have told you this so that my joy, I have so much of it, may be in you and that your joy may be complete, or that last word can be translated full to the brim, or John 16. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete, or all the way full, 
or 17. I say these things while I am still in the world so that my apprentices may have the full measure of my joy within them. From Jesus, we learn two very important realities on the subject of joy. First is this, just think with me, very simple. God is the most joyful being in all of the universe. To recap Theology 101, Jesus is the embodiment of God. In Jesus, we see what God is like. Put another way, Jesus is like God, and even more importantly, God is like Jesus. And Jesus is happy. Quote, anointed with the oil of gladness more than all of his companions, or the happiest person alive, end quote, multiple times in the New Testament. Jesus was the happiest person alive, ergo God himself is the happiest person alive. I mean, just think about it. On page one of the Bible, we read about God singing the universe into existence, and the lyric to that chorus is, it is good. Sea, land, it is good. Tree, Woodpecker, Forest Park, it is good. Infant child, music, the melody of the wind, it is very good. It's as if you get the sense reading Genesis 1 that it's like God, this being at the center of the universe, is so full of pent up love and joy and peace that it just has to leak out and overflow into the Andromeda galaxy into an oak tree and into an infant child, into kombucha on tap. It just has to come out. At the center, I just discovered kombucha, by the way. I was a hater, I'm not gonna lie. I was a hater for a lot of years. And then Paul, I don't know if you're here, went on the men's retreat, he started a kombucha company. I had a taste to be the nice pastor and I haven't stopped. Um, it's amazing. At the ce- my point is, at the center of the universe is a God who is happy. Little exercise for you, just close your eyes for a minute. You don't have to, we're not a cult, this is Portland, you'll do your own thing no matter what. But (laughs) just close your eyes for a minute, just take a second. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been. You have it? Okay, two or three of you, just shout it out nice and loud. Where's the, where? Trillium Lake, not far away, fantastic. Hawaii, where in Hawaii? Oh, Kauai, I was gonna say. I vote for Kauai if, if, if it's a vote, right? Hands, where? Girl, girl trip? Oh, it's a place. Oh, fantastic. It's not, it's not like double entendre there, girl trip. It's a place. I've never heard of it. Fantastic. Where else? One more. Venice. Anybody been to Glacier National Park? Yeah, anybody been to Zion? Yeah, Swiss Alps, anybody? Uh, it was privileged, sorry, I apologize. What can I say? Wow, now, okay. Now, close your eyes again. Second exercise. Now, think of the happiest moment of your life. Or just one or two at the top of the list. Just take a moment. Okay, I'll go first the birth of my son Jude. All three were amazing, but it just gets more work after the first one. But <laughs> I just, I will never forget that day. What's another one? Shout it out, nice and loud. Wedding day. Wedding day. How long now? Four years. Four years, come on. Did somebody say Disneyland? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Star Wars land next year. Put it in the calendar. What else? Happiest moment of your life? 
Engagement. Are you even, who said that? Yeah, are you, when's the date? September 14th, fantastic, congratulations. One more, what's another, happiest day of your life? Quitting your job. Quitting your job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, okay, stay with me. Whatever God's relationship to time and space is, and theologians, believe it or not, debate that, but whatever it is, it's very different from mine and from yours. Think for sure there is no place that God is not. Draw to mind the most beautiful place you've ever been. Kauai, Cape Kiwanda at the Oregon coast, Trillium Lake, girl trip, what was it called? Girl, <laughs> whatever it is, <laughs> that amazing. Draw to mind, God is there right now. Think about the feeling that you get when you were there, right? Think of the happiest moment of your life, your wedding day, your engagement, you got out from the man at your job, whatever it is, that God is there in that moment right now. A few weeks ago, I was over at Cape Kiwanda, and if you know, you go right past the sign that says, don't go past the sign, and you walk out to the edge of the Cape with your three children, and you're, <laughs> you're teaching all sorts of things at that point. And we were out there, it was a beautiful summer day. I was in well into my vacation and we were whale watching and they were out there a ways, you know. And this gigantic blue whale comes right in, if you've ever been there, to that lagoon at the base of the cliff and we're staring down at it and for 20 minutes, it just plays in the water, up, down, does its whale thing, the spout, like whatever, the, is it an arm, is it a flipper? I don't know what it is, but. It was, and I'm there with my three beautiful children, with my lovely wife, on a vacation, on a sunny, warm, it was the joy in that moment. God is in that place, he is in that moment right now. Feeling all of that delight and wonder and happiness and excitement of all of the most beautiful times and most beautiful places in the universe and down through human history. Now, you're thinking people, and so you know, well, that means the flip side is also true, right? If God is at Cape Kiwanda right now, then he's also at a work camp in North Korea or in a killing field with ISIS or in a slum outside of Kolkata. And if God was there at my wedding day, then he's also at Auschwitz in 1945 and Hiroshima in 1945. He's there feeling all of that pain and grief and trauma, and yes, he is. Hence that prophecy from Isaiah, before it said that he was anointed with the oil of gladness, first it said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, or that can be translated no stranger to suffering, both and. One of the things you realize as you age is that there aren't good seasons and bad seasons in life, there's life, and there's always good and there's always bad. When I was younger, I think I felt like, well, there's a good year or a bad year. And at a birthday, I, you would ask a friend, how was your year? Was it a good year or was it a bad year? And there's some truth in that for sure. But the older I get, the more I feel like the answer to that question is yes. There's always things over which I feel sad, disappointment, let down, grief even. And yet there are always things for which I just feel grateful pinch myself, I can't believe this is my life. And God feels both, just the way that you and I feel both, but here's the difference. 
God, whatever his relationship to space and time is, has enough of a vantage point that I think he is far more aware than we are that all sadness is passing away, but joy is forever. Right there, think of it this way. You know how we talk about God, the scriptures write that God is love. They never say that God is wrath, but yet we read all sorts of stories about the wrath of God. But wrath is a subcategory of love, right? It is the emotionally healthy response of a father or a mother to evil in the life of a child, of a son or of a daughter. When Jude does something evil or when evil is done to Jude, I feel anger, not in spite of my love for Jude, but because of my love. I would argue the same is true with joy and sadness. God is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. You read about that triumvirate all the way through the New Testament. God is joy. You never read that God is sadness, yet you read all sorts of stories about the sadness of God. And Jesus wept and he broke down in tears. But I would argue that the sadness of God is a subcategory of the joy of God. It is the emotionally healthy response of a father who has nothing but the full measure of joy for his son or his daughter, but who is up against evil. But God has this vantage point over the horizon to the day at Jesus' return when all evil is snuffed out forever, and in that moment, God will revert back to his true nature, to his baseline emotional and relational disposition of love and joy and peace. God will never get angry again and he will never be sad ever again. Why? Because God is the most not only loving but joyful, happy, pleasant, fun to be around, delightful being in all of the universe, whether you believe that or not. Secondly, from Jesus, we learn that God's plan for your life and for mine is to grow and mature you into the kind of person who is as joyful as he is. Hence Jesus' prayer for all of his apprentices, which was more than just a prayer, it was a vision for your future and for mine. Quote, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That's what the word joyful means, full of joy. Do you ever feel that way? Like, even if not on a regular basis, even if it's once a year or once a month or once a week, Do you ever feel so full of joy that it's like if there was a gas gauge like on the joy meter of your heart or whatever, like it's full. There's no more, you don't have any more capacity for more joy and it just has to leak out of you in a smile, a chuckle, a dance, whatever it is. Total secret, don't tell anybody. I um, hate dancing and when I say I hate dancing, I mean I loathe, detest, with a righteous indignation dancing, all right? It's just not my thing, yes, I'm in therapy. And um, I'm home Thursday afternoon, my family's all gone for the day, I just finished writing this teaching, it was a beautiful summer day, I had my day off and my Sabbath ahead of me that I was really looking forward to, and I put on this new single, Falling Water by Maggie Roberts, it's amazing, and I just all of a sudden, don't tell anybody, I had to go over, close the blinds in my living room, and just (laughs) dance to Sonos right there. Like just, I just started dancing to a female singer-songwriter. I could not help myself. Don't tell anybody, all right? I promise. Jesus' plan for your life and for mine, listen carefully, is to grow and mature you into the kind of person for whom that experience where you just 
overflow with joy where that is your new normal. Now, listen carefully, very carefully. Joy, here's the thing where I think a lot of us go wrong. Joy isn't just an emotion. It is an overall condition of the heart. Hour-long teaching on a biblical theology of the heart in one sentence. Your heart in the biblical literature is a trifecta of your thinking and your feeling and your will in the language of psychology or in our language, what you want. So your heart is what you think about, it's what you feel, and it's what you desire. Jesus' plan isn't just to get you to go to church a lot and read your Bible every single morning and to dump joy on you in those moments, right? Not that he can't do that, not that he doesn't do that on a regular basis, but that's not his MO, that's not his way, right? Um, I know a lot of people who are waiting around for Jesus to like drop a joy bomb on them or whatever. It's like, like you know, water balloons, I have three kids. In summer, I know it's bad for the environment, I'm sorry, but like the water balloon thing, it's like I think we kind of imagine like, okay, I wake up in the morning, I read my Bible, and Jesus up in heaven, he's like, joy bomb, boom, hit you. Oh, you're at church, oh, you're at the seven, oh, you're in the joy bomb, boom, like, you, you know, and you're hit, like, and it's all passive, not, active and you just receive it. And there is some truth in that for sure. Nine times out of 10, the most joyful time of my day is first thing in the morning before my family's up, just me and Jesus, my Bible open in the quiet. It's all downhill after that, you know? (laughs) And I know, seriously, this morning, I had the best time. Sunday mornings are my favorite because everybody is drunk with a hangover and sleeping in in our city, at least in my neighborhood. But I love, I I don't love that. I love the quiet. (laughs) And we have this little front porch and it's summertime right now and I'm out and I was drinking this new Colombian from Heart that was unfreaking believable. One of the best cups of coffee I've ever had and I'm just sitting there and it's sunny and I'm outside and it's beautiful and it's quiet and it was so great. <laughs> the house right next to me was pretty close. And what time did the World Cup start this morning? Eight o'clock? It must have been early. Right at 11 o'clock I heard like drunk guys screaming really loud. So every five minutes it'd just be like wind of prayer. Yeah! Like it was so great through this open window and I just thought this is my life. This is my life. And you just ever have that sense where you just are overwhelmed with joy from heaven itself. But listen, that's not actually Jesus' main agenda for your life. That's great when those moments come, enjoy it. But Jesus has far more ambition for your life. He doesn't want to just dump joy on you when you read your Bible a lot or pray or go to church. He wants to grow and mature you into the kind of person who is joyful. The overall condition of your heart, the fabric of your character, your personality, who you are through apprenticeship to the happiest person alive, you have become a happy, joyful, pleasant, at peace man or woman, not just when you're reading your Bible or at church, that stuff's great, but all the time when you're stuck in traffic, when you're on email 947, when you're there, when you're in a hard conversation, just somebody who is joyful by nature. Because of that, cultivating a heart, an overall condition of your inner man or woman, 
that is joyful is at the center of your apprenticeship to Jesus. Now, how do we do this? Let's shift gears. The short answer is through what Richard Foster and other teachers of the way call the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now that, that language is not used in the New Testament, but the idea is, there's a command that runs all the way through the New Testament. It starts with Jesus, and then it's repeated by pretty much all of the New Testament writers, in particular Paul, it's a favorite of Paul's, and it's this, rejoice. In Greek, it's this word kairete, can you say that? And it's the verb form of the noun joy, right? So more literally, to rejoice is to joy. However, a number of scholars argue that a better translation is celebrate. For a number of reasons, most of the time, um, the command is, if not all of the time, the command is in the plural, not in the singular. It's something that you do not alone by yourself, but with a community. And the semantic domain of the word has this idea of a meal or a feast or a party. So like you celebrate, you throw a party, you feast together as a community, you rejoice. Now, most, either way, most of us, don't think of joy as a discipline at all. We don't think that we have any responsibility in joy, really. We just kind of sit there and wait for the water balloon from heaven or something like that. But it doesn't work that way. Richard Foster writes this. The decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Read that out loud with me if you want. That's really cultish, but let's do it. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living, right? Consciously chosen way. And the beauty of this way, of this spiritual discipline of celebration, is that it's not rocket science at all. It's very simple. There are two basic steps, thinking and living. Or put another way, first, set your mind on joy. As we all know, you can't will joy. Joy is more than an emotion, but not less. And you can't will an emotion. There's no light switch on off. There's no like, turn off the sad switch, turn on the happy switch. Right? It doesn't exist. Turn off the stressed out switch, turn on the chill. Like it doesn't exist. There's no, if you have a light switch, please give me the podcast, right? But we don't have control over our emotions. Because of that, many people at the live at the mercy of their emotions, live a kind of victim life at their emotions, live the kind of casualty of their biochemical reactions. But we do have control over our mind, our thought life, what we set our attention on, what we give our mental real estate to. And as a general rule, your feelings follow your thinking. This is pretty basic stuff. If you right now think about how horrible your boss is and the injustice of corporate America or whatever, and this slight or this thing he or she said, what do you start to feel? Anger. If you start to think about the dystopian future where Google's AI takes over the world, right, against Elon Musk's wishes, or you think about North Korea, if you start, what do you feel? Anxiety, right? If you, in the same way, if you think about God and how good he is, how at the center of the universe is a being that just is the source of pure 
love and joy and peace. And then you start to think about all that is good and beautiful and true in this universe that you call home. What do you start to feel? Joy. Because your thinking follows your think, your, I'm sorry, your feeling follows your thinking. So you can't will joy, but you can will a thought life that is curated in such a way that joy is the inevitable byproduct. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Practicing the Way. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit that exists because of the generosity of listeners like you. To support our work, join The Circle, our community of monthly givers. To give or to learn more about running our resources in your church or small group, visit practicingtheway.org.